0: Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, we'll hear excerpts from a December 2014 panel discussion convened by the YWCA called Prison Policy, A Crime Against Our Community. Today's speaker is Tom Litwicky. He's currently CEO of Old Pueblo Community Services, whose mission is to support those In our community who are currently struggling with addiction, homelessness, and mental health concerns by providing dignified supportive housing options, behavioral health counseling, employment coaching, and peer support. He describes his own work within Corrections, some history of US and Arizona prison policy, and some of the work that Old Pueblo Community Services is doing here in Tucson. This is part two, of a multi-part series. Special thanks to Hilary Eshelman for recording this presentation. Up first, an introduction by YWCA board member, Diane Wilson, followed by Tom Litwicki. I'm Diane
1: Wilson and I'm a member of the board of directors and also the chair of the advocacy committee here. It is significant that we scheduled this forum on Human Rights Day because what could be more important to our human rights than our rights as prisoners and our rights when we're released from prison? And I'd like to give you some history of the YWCA because it's a good organization. It's the oldest and largest multicultural women's organization in the world and its mission is to empower women and eliminate racism. It began in 1860 as a social justice program for women who were working in New York City, and it was a housing program. It later became Traveler's Aid. The Tucson YWCA provides English as a second language, job search, and leadership training for Latinas. Today, over two million people participate in the YWCA, and a number of them are women released from prison. And I'm proud to say, that some of them come here to our YWCA for assistance in getting work. We chose the name for the forum today. We went through many variations of that forum and we decided we wanted to make it strong. Prison policy a crime against our community. Because we at the YWCA see the negative effect of current prison policy on individuals families and communities. I myself became committed to systemic change that I think needs to happen as a result of what I learned when I was offering job search and life skills workshops in two different prisons for women. I met women who wanted to change their lives but had barriers to doing that. These barriers were often a result of our sentencing, prison and reintegration policies. Many of those barriers, I believe, we can change and that will be one of the efforts we'll be talking about tonight. Our second presenter is Tom Litwicki, who was a Regional Administrator for the Arizona Department of Corrections and now is CEO of Old Pueblo Community Services. Old Pueblo Community Services provides a variety of programs for people released from prison. So Tom has both experience inside the prison and outside the prison. So
2: this is where my journey starts. I was uh, 20 years old in 1986 and I was, uh, really didn't have anywhere to go. I gone to three schools uh, of higher education and uh, had about 12 credits to my name. And um, my father worked for the Department of Economic Security. And he said, hey, Tom, I saw this announcement for correctional officers. Maybe you'd like to do that. And I said, well, I probably have to at least humor him. And um, I'll go for the interview. And the interview wasn't too tough. Took a little written test. Had to look at a picture and kind of remember some things in the picture. I Had to promise people that I could count. And, um, and then I left. Uh, I also had to promise that I had not uh, smoked marijuana in the 60 days prior or something like that, and I, and I left the building. Um, about six months later, I get a letter that says, congratulations, you've been accepted. Report to the uh, a Correctional Academy, which at that time was in, in Tucson. What still is, I guess, in Tucson. And um, And I said, oh, well, crud! I'm in here this far, right? I, I, I think I was a little out of shape. I figured, well, I could exercise and I could, you know, get in shape. So I might as well exercise, get in shape, and I'll go. And then after the six weeks of them paying me to exercise, I'll quit. And then after six weeks, I actually made it, which was an entire shock to me. Luckily, I had a, a roommate who had been in the military, and he told me not to take anything seriously, and that helped a lot. And then uh, when I uh, finished, I said, well, I should at least report to the prison. I'll report, I'll see what it's like, then I'll quit. Uh, and I reported to the prison, and somehow I stayed the whole day, and I, I started out at uh, Alhambra at their um, uh, maximum security prison. That's where I was assigned, and, and then I uh, their intake, and then was switched over to uh, um, a DUI center which is where this picture of me, I thought I was quite an adult at the time. Of course, I was but a child and have no idea what I was doing uh, in that uh, prison at that point in time. But in a matter of time, I became used to it. Um, There was uh, a prison can be, um, it's like law enforcement in general. It's generally very boring and then it's generally very exciting. And it goes from boring to exciting and boring to exciting. And they're not a very random schedule. So if you're young, and you like a lot of adrenaline. It was kind of cool, you know, it was kind of exciting. And so it was exciting for me for about three years. Uh, then it wasn't exciting anymore. And I, I really enjoyed working uh, uh, with people who were incarcerated and found um, them interesting and found that, that there was a lot of possibility and potential. And so I said, you know what, by golly, I should become a counselor. And back then, pretty much, if you said you want to be a counselor in prison, They said, congratulations, (laughs) wonderful. We'd like to have you. Um, And so I became a counselor in prison and I got really kind of a, I got a little hipper then. And you can see I I grew a beard, a little bit of a beard. I was trying hard at that. Um, and, And yeah, I became kind of cool, right? And so I was a cool counselor dude at the state prison. And I was in Douglas, Arizona. I was there for about 10 years. Uh, uh, went from a, a really a nice little community over that 10-year period, in the mid 80s to the mid 90s, to a um, uh, you would think you were in uh, some some full-time law enforcement uh, uh, city with the amount of patrols and helicopters and things. But that's a that's a separate conversation, I guess. Um, but it, time I I worked in prison, I started, you know, studying, I decided I'd go back to school. And so I went back to school and got a degree in counseling and all that good stuff. And then it came time to retire and I wondered what would I do, what would I do. I kind of swore that I wouldn't go to any job interviews. And somebody called me up that I was working with on prison reentry and said, how would you like to come work for Old Pueblo Community Services? And I've been there pretty much ever since. So, you know, I've kind of had this experience in which I I worked within the system. Um, I think, like in any system, I've uh, experienced um, some great moments of uh, triumph in which the human spirit uh, overcame the conditions and the uh, disparities and the situation that, that exists within incarceration. And of course, I've witnessed and experienced some moments uh, which were not so positive and were quite negative and harmful and that uh, I'll definitely carry for the rest of my life Um, but it's it's a system that is riddled with problems it's a system also that uh, I would agree very heartily that um, is uh, the way it's running now um, and I don't mean this system just being the Department of Corrections all by itself but this entire larger system, is something that's definitely harming the Tucson community. Um, So I'd like to talk about what I think some of, in my experience, is some of the uh, uh, problems with the system. Um, And then maybe talk about some of the local solutions that we have that you might want to get involved in more, uh, or you might want to kind of bridge from this to to getting uh, uh, more active in. Number one, it's not fairly administered. Um, so, it's not fair who ends up in prison. Um, when people do end up in prison, it becomes a bit of a revolving door and creates more problems uh, by nature than it, than it uh, uh, solves. Uh, one of the interesting things, when I worked at Tucson, I was managing treatment programs for addiction. That six point, In fact, it wasn't even that 6.6, it was probably the .05. Um, percentage that was actually in residential treatment Uh, but I would get calls from the courts because courts were looking at sending uh, uh, juveniles and trying them as adults and sending them to the prison and they would talk about how um, it wasn't so bad you know do they have recreation yes they do. do they have arts and crafts yes they do the kids have to get a snack at around nine o'clock at night and all these kinds of pieces of information do they have counselors yes they do And then they would say, oh, so this might not be so bad for this young person, and he's always saying, oh, no, 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 don't get this wrong at all. This is not an improvement center. (laughs) People don't necessarily, this is not intended, it's not designed for people to get better, Um, and it certainly does not design for young people to enter to get better. And sometimes we've called her uh, kind of this idea that somehow because we have these services, people like me as a counselor there, then somehow this is might be improving. Some people do find a way to improve in prison, but it's not necessarily the outcome or the expected outcome. Um, so it becomes this revolving door with people getting worse and worse. The other thing is that uh, incarceration is clearly more expensive than proven alternatives. So there are alternatives that have less suffering and have proven to do better, and they cost less money. Um, and then reentry after incarceration is not supported or coordinated. It's generally a mess. About Uh, four years into working in Corrections, I was summoned to our central office in Phoenix for a meeting about reentry. And we were in there working on reentry with uh, uh, one of the administrators there. How are we going to do reentry? So this would have been around 1990. How are we going to do a system-wide, something that's coordinated and organized and has some sense to it, in, in making sure that we get people released, they have housing, they have services, how do we connect them with the public behavioral health system, all this kind of stuff, right? At the end of the meeting, we submitted it to someone and uh, uh, the word came back that actually uh, we were having a rogue meeting. Uh, um, That meeting really didn't need to happen. And the reason it didn't need to happen was that the state was in the process of developing a reentry system for uh, the prisons. Well, that was 1990. I retired in 2007 and I hadn't seen it yet. So this idea of a coordinated reentry system doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in the prison, and it barely exists within communities, uh, to include Tucson. And we'll talk a little bit more about Tucson because I think that's something we can do about um, The other one, not everyone goes to prison. So when we talk about drug usage, uh, which I think is an interesting area to, to look at, clearly a lot of people use drugs, a lot of people, less people get arrested for it, and even less people end up showing up in prison. So there's some sorting process that happens from the time uh, someone starts using drugs, someone maybe gets arrested or not arrested, and then someone goes to prison or not goes to prison. Caroline already talked about this quite well. Uh, There's a nice report out there that you can look for called the Vortex Report, which takes a ton of databases, U.S. Department of Justice, the uh, correctional state and federal databases, The census from 2002 and basically says that when you get right down to it when you talk about incarceration um, you've got about ten times the rate of incarceration for African Americans versus whites so the first sorting process that does happen is um, what do you look like Uh, am I afraid of you what are the resources in your community as we dealt with in Tucson Arizona is the detention center closer to your neighborhood or farther away from your neighborhood. (laughs) So these things might impact on how this sorting occurs. Um, The other one is that incarceration rates are not correlated with usage. If you look at the same report, and you look at Philadelphia, PA, you've got about a 10.8% of the population using drugs, but you got 116 out of 10,000 going to prison for drugs. You go find another community like Cumberland, Maine, you'll see a very similar drug usage, but only about 7.43% of the population goes to prison for drug usage. The same thing with Rockingham, New Hampshire. So incarceration for drugs does not necessarily equate or relate to drug usage in a community. Um, It probably relates more to the level of policing that happens in a community. And that again, is just what Carolyn has already said, this idea that we're over-policing or uh, certain neighborhoods, certain areas. Uh, the other thing that was same thing is about 25% of uh, the drug, It uh, well, that doesn't make any sense. That's what happens when you make slides in the middle of the afternoon. Um, 25% of people coming into corrections right now uh, are for drug offenses. Still, even though we've talked about increasing, decreasing that, the average sentence is around 23 months, and 52% serve less than a year, and 30% of uh, admissions are uh, pro-violators. So you can see this kind of a fast cycle, repetitive, in and out, uh, especially with drug offenses, shorter, short sentences, in, out, in, out, in, out. Um,
0: You're listening to excerpts from a December 2014 panel discussion convened by the YWCA called Prison Policy, A Crime Against Our Community, on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Today's speaker is Tom Litwicky, CEO of Old Pueblo Community Services. What's interesting is
2: Arizona looked at, um,
1: not too long ago, did a little bit of
2: evaluation on some of the recidivism for a cohort and found that 17.92 um, percent that were released in 2000, calendar year 2008 returned within a three-year period. Now almost all technical violations, um, which is the majority of violations, happen very quickly. So you've got a situation in which people get out, and then very quickly, if they're going to come in for a technical violation, that's going to happen fairly, fairly quickly, right? That's going to happen within, people don't often have very long parole anymore, so that's going to happen within a few months of uh, release from prison. So it kind of gives you your time window. Uh, another percentage, 13. Point, or 19.3, came back for a new felony. Now, of that cohort that came back for a new felony, that typically is happening towards the end. So what happens first usually is technical violations, and then later that turns into uh, felony convictions at some point. Um, But it's happening pretty much, all of that's happening within the first year. So if you're looking at this kind of a, how do we work and try and make something work in our community, you're looking at something that's gonna be pretty intensive in that first year uh, coming out of prison. Uh, The other solution that we might have is the fact that we wanna divert people away from prison. Um, and a coordinated, accountable, compassionate, and just re-entry system. Boy, that should be fun, huh? We can do that in a week. Um, you have a program in Tucson called the Drug Treatment Alternatives to Prison, and the Drug Treatment Alternatives to Prison basically says that when someone comes into the, into the courts, uh, if they're selected for this program, they could, instead of going to prison, could go into residential treatment. So it's for folks with very high acuity, in addiction, the addiction is the main driver of their criminal behavior, and they can uh, choose to go into treatment instead. Um, You'll notice here that uh, they've done a cost-benefit analysis on this program in your own backyard, and it's $21,000 a year total cost. That includes administration, that includes the courts, that includes the treatment services, that includes the case management, compared to their control group that ended up going to prison, at around $30,000 for the prison sentence. So you have a clear alternative to prison that isn't causing any harm or danger to your community uh, is getting you better results. And then this same group, you're not going to have to deal with on that reentry with all the problems that we created through incarceration. So that's one that's happening right now. Um, Coordination. If you want to get involved in coordination, the Pima County Jail has done consulting with the National Institute of Corrections. Uh, Richard Fimbres uh, has a reentry coalition that you can participate in. Um, and the county jail has an inside-out recovery partnership. So this is a program that is with, uh, uh, as a disclaimer, with Old Public Community Services and the, the jail, but it's our only in and out program. One of the things that's definitely been demonstrated as effectiveness, if you can, for those folks who have not been diverted from the system and are in the system, if you want them to get out and do well, um, typically when you look across all the research, uh, you'll find that the programs. Everyone will tell you this program or that program is better than another, and that's general huey. Uh, what really makes a difference is is there a connection on the inside and the same connection with the same people on the outside. If you have a meaningful connection on the inside and the same people in the community on the outside then you generally have success, no matter what the modality of the program may be. Um, so we provide um, uh, funding through the National Institute of Corrections for counseling in jail. 30 days is we work only with people who are getting out homeless with a high likelihood to recidivate. Um, and 30 days funded supportive housing. We get the counseling services and our housing from another grant. But the big key to this is that's two years of grant funded. We were two years grant funded before this and applied for it again. These grants are intended to be seed grants. They're intended to get new things started. Um, In your community, we're at a point right now where uh, we have grants that we're using as our primary system. That makes it really hard, right? Because for four months, we weren't funded. What do I do with the counselors for four months? What do I do with the housing for four months? Um, We're gonna have to, at some point, get coordinated to the point where we give real money uh, instead of hoping that we're going to get federal money and grant money from the feds every once in a while to do startup programs, but instead get real money that we can consistently use for a re entry system, whether or not we get a federal grant. And a lot of these systems operate just solely on these, they, they, it's really quite humorous anymore that they call them seed grants because no one's using them that way. They're using them to fund their whole system. Um, and that's not enough. Um, the other one is mental health services. So um, you could guess in uh, uh, about 56% of people in state prisons had a mental health problem in the last year, and about 15% psychotic disorder. Certainly there are people who should not be incarcerated. I've worked with women at the state prison uh, in Phoenix in counseling um, that should not have made it through the courts because their IQ was so low that they couldn't understand their sentence or where they were. So you definitely have this small population that ends up with uh, all kinds of different disorders that are incarcerated shouldn't even be there. Um, but when we look at the release uh, for our community, one of the challenges we have is uh, a connection in the prison for mental health services and that connection in the community. Um, in Maricopa County, I used to live in Maricopa County, I used to live in Phoenix, so don't, don't hate me just <laughs> because I lived in Phoenix. Um, But I used to live in Phoenix. In Phoenix, the behavioral health provider for that uh, county goes into the prison and agrees if the prison will tell them they have someone with a serious mental health uh, disorder, they will go into the prison, conduct an assessment, get them enrolled in services prior to release. If someone's getting out to Tucson, Arizona, uh, we don't have that agreement. Nobody will go into the prison to do that initial assessment. It's gonna have to happen anyways. If they leave prison, and they're uh, are experiencing schizophrenia, and they have 30 days of medication, and there's no connection made in prison, and no appointment made in prison, they're just gonna hit the streets, they're gonna show up at a provider, provider's gonna give them an appointment, they're gonna miss one or two, they're gonna stop taking their medications, at some point then they're gonna end up at the crisis center, we're gonna do an assessment, and there it is, there is that darn assessment we should have done when they were in prison, <laughs> right? And we spent all this money. Of course, the police had to come, because that's who's going to show up. And then they had to transport. And so uh, one of the areas that we could probably save a lot of money and do a lot of good would be if we would intentionally in our community insist that our behavioral health system reaches into the prison uh, prior to people getting released from prison to make that connection so that when they get out, they already have services arranged. Um, That's a major waste of money and and, an increase of human suffering. the other one is reentry housing. So um, permanent supportive housing typically has a retention rate of 75 to 80%. So if you can get someone into permanent housing, uh, they'll typically stay there. Um, if you get them into programs of some sorts, they typically end up having some rule violation, make get kicked out. But if you can get them into their own place, they'll typically stay there at a much lower rate. A place like Old Pueblo will cost you around $13 a day. Um, Right now, we have folks who are incarcerated anywhere from $30 to $60 a day. Um, what's interesting about it is we do have uh, laws uh, where we can release from prison people early uh, up to 90 days. So you have folks who can get out 90 days. Uh, this was put in uh, as a way of reducing uh, the number of people who are incarcerated. The problem is, is that it's up to the department of corrections and <laughs> how they give it out and um, you might get 90, or you might get 75, or you might get 63, or you might get 82 because of the paperwork. Well, every day that somebody is not doing the paperwork quick enough at the Department of Corrections to get them out in their full 90 days, you've got someone who obviously wasn't a danger to the community because they wouldn't have gotten the early release otherwise, who's sitting in a bed at between 30 and $60 a day using up taxpayer money when they could be released from incarceration. So that's another area that I think is a key issue going forward for our, for our community and for the state to ensure that people actually, that the state is actually fiscally responsible with the funding that they have and with the means they have. Uh, I know if I was running a program and I knew that at a certain point of a hospital knew that they could discharge you on a certain day, they wouldn't slow up the paperwork and <laughs> keep it three days later and then lose all that money. So it's a strange kind of system in which, and one of the problems with corrections Is To be Frank is that uh, if I bring if you bring things to Corrections folks and say hey We could make this system better the folks on the ground the wardens those people they say well If things are better, how many prison beds do I have? Well, you got 4,000 Tucson if things get better. How many prison beds do I have 4,000? If things get worse, how many do I have 4,000? So they're just see that slice of the world Uh, right now the Department of Corrections is not connected with what's happening prior to incarceration or what's post-incarceration. Uh, even though they have a community corrections, which is part of the Department of Corrections, they're not connected with that post-incarceration. Uh, a lot of states have um, the, a strong post-incarceration that's connected with incarceration so that you can have that kind of a seamless uh, handoff. Um, if It makes a lot more sense. Here what you have is a system in which there really isn't much preparation on that and people just go out to parole and come back on technical violations. Um, All right. the other one that I think is a nice one that you might help if you wanted to get behind is this idea of ban the box. Um, A lot of people have uh, can't get employed when they get out of incarceration because in the very front screening they have to say they were incarcerated. City of Tucson I believe has now banned that box from their applications. Uh, I would encourage you to to support that, try and get as many places as you can. Uh, Clearly this issue of incarceration is gonna come up, but it should come up uh, when you uh, are at the interview, not when you are being screened out in the the initial screening. Um, So that's a nice one. The other one that I didn't put on here is rights restoration. And I know there's lots of that out there, but in Arizona you have to go through all kinds of hoops to get your rights restored. Clearly, if you've been incarcerated, you've been to prison, you've done your parole, uh, there is no uh, uh, reason that people should not have their uh, uh, rights restored automatically. They're wasting time in your courts and your taxpayer dollars to do this uh, restoration process that takes forever, Hiring attorneys to do things that they could be doing something else better than this, and in reality, it should just be automatic. All the states around us pretty much have uh, either a very reduced or automatic restoration, um, and some states even have uh, continued voting rights while people are incarcerated, which I think would make a lot of sense, but there's really no reason why someone should lose their voting rights uh, and have to petition to try and get those back through a lengthy process, right? That's just disenfranchisement, and because we know that people are not entering prison in a fair way, then we're obviously disenfranchising people in a very unfair way. Um, I think I've run out of things to say, except that we have a, oh, how could I not give a plug for that? I think that's all that's on the slide. We just started a mentoring grant in which we'll be going into prison, um, working with people who are incarcerated, setting up mentoring. We are able to have a funder who will give the first 30 days of their housing, and then the same mentors will work with them in the community. Uh, That's another way on a small scale, it's not everyone's cup of tea to be a mentor but I think a few people in this audience may be, and that's one way that you can help people. We'll be working with men and women. Uh, They're all higher likelihood of returning to incarceration. They're all coming out homeless, so there's a whole lot of need.
0: You've been listening to excerpts from a December 2014 panel discussion convened by the YWCA Tucson called Prison Policy, A Crime Against Our Community, on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Today's speaker is Tom Litwicky, Chief Executive Officer of Old Pueblo Community Services. This has been part two of a multi-part series. Special thanks to Hillary Eshelman for recording this presentation. I'm Amanda Schager. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson.